Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. This episode is sponsored by Scotland The Big Picture, a charity working to drive the recovery of nature across Scotland through rewilding in response to the growing climate and biodiversity crises. Their vision is of a vast network of rewilded land and water across Scotland where wildlife flourishes and people thrive. Find out more at www.scotlandbigpicture.com. This partnership was made possible with the National Lottery Heritage Fund, with thanks to National Lottery players. Hello there, and welcome to Wild for Scotland, a podcast full of inspiring stories from Scotland. I'm your host, Cathy Kamleitner. Wild for Scotland helps you connect with Scotland and dream about future adventures. I'll tell you immersive stories to whisk you away, share some of my top tips for your own Scotland trip, and introduce you to inspiring locals and their stories. So lean back and enjoy. Let's travel to Scotland. Today we are diving into the world of rewilding in Scotland. Many people, when they look at Scotland, see a land bustling with wildlife, from golden eagles soaring through the sky to dolphins playing in the wake of boats all along the coast. They see dramatic mountain ranges with narrow ridges and tall peaks, vast glens and moorlands stretching between them. It's the home of majestic Scots pines, elusive wildcats and delicate orchids. It's the land of remote outposts like Noidart, Rannoch Moor and the Cairngorm Plateau. These are places to visit to be immersed in nature. Some might even use the words wild or wilderness to describe them. But how wild is this landscape really? Most of Scotland is heavily managed and many of the landscapes we associate with Scotland's wildness, the vast moorlands, the empty glens and the uninhabited islands have been shaped by human activity. If Scotland was truly wild, it would support vast tracts of Caledonian forest, ancient Atlantic oak woods and montane scrub so dense you could barely walk through. Seagrass meadows would grow on the seabeds, offering shelter and nourishment to marine species. 80% of our peatlands are degraded. Instead of holding water on the hill, it's flowing off, causing erosion in the hills and flooding below. And an increasing number of species face extinction as our climate warms. Scotland may appear wild, but it is in fact incredibly depleted of nature. In fact, a recent study by the RSPB shows that Scotland ranks 28th out of 218 countries in the Biodiversity Intactness Index. From the bottom. That's the bad news. The good news is that now that we know this, we can roll up our sleeves and get to work to reverse the damage. And that's where rewilding comes in. Rewilding is more than simply protecting the nature and wildlife that's left. It's about restoring what has been lost for the benefit of all, for nature, for the climate, and for us, the people. We often forget that we are part of nature. We see ourselves as something separate from the living world, when in fact, we're a part of it. 
Rewilding is all about helping ecosystems to recover. It can include actions like reintroducing native species that once roamed the land. Rewilding also brings people back in relationship with nature. It's about dreaming big and keeping an eye on the big picture. And that's exactly what our partner for this episode does. Scotland The Big Picture is a rewilding organisation that drives the recovery of nature across Scotland through rewilding. They do this by telling stories that aim to shift our mindsets, make us realise how nature-depleted Scotland is, see the benefits of rewilding, and show us that there's an alternative available if we fight for it. The projects include Riverwoods, a film that tells the story of the Atlantic salmon and Scottish rivers. They also have campaigns for the reintroduction of lynx and cranes, and most recently, the Next Gen programme, which encourages young people to get involved with rewilding. In addition to these projects, they also collaborate with partners in the field through the Northwoods Rewilding Network, helping people by sharing knowledge and facilitating practical action that makes rewilding happen. Together, their goal is to inspire behavioural change from private individuals to businesses and government agencies in Scotland and beyond. In this episode, I'll take you along to visit rewilding sites in Scotland and learn about reintroduction programmes, woodland regeneration and peat bog restoration. I'll tell you about Scotland The Big Picture's next-gen programme and I'll sit down with some inspiring young people to hear about rewilding through their experiences. So roll up your sleeves and join me on this rewilding journey. This is The Big Picture. I'm watching mesmerised as the birds draw circles in the air. Like planes in a holding pattern, they seem to be waiting for a signal, telling them that it's all right to proceed. The air is filled with the shrill calls for attention, as if there was any chance to miss their presence. I'm scared to blink or look away. Any brief moment of distraction risks missing the action. Wow. Out of nowhere, the first bird spirals briefly upwards, bends its wings into a W shape and swoops at breakneck speed towards the ground. Within a split second, another bird follows, and then another, and another. I love all the coloured patterns. Soon a whirl of 15 birds hurl themselves down as if they were falling out of the sky. But within a few feet of the ground, they break, turn their agile bodies around and stretch out their talons to grab their prey. Flapping their enormous wings, they lift off, return to a comfortable position in the sky and circle once again above the field. I'm at Argety Farm in central Scotland a working farm in the heart of Stirlingshire, where livestock farming happens alongside efforts to rewild parts of the estate. And red kites are one of the species that benefit from this. As little as 30 years ago, there were no red kites left in Scotland and England. From the Victorian era until World War I, they went from being the most numerous bird of prey in Scotland to complete extinction. But in the 1990s, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds began an ambitious reintroduction programme and red kites from Europe were released to find suitable new homes. Within a few years, birds from the Tay Valley programme started to gather here at Argety Farm. They built nests, hatched chicks, roosted in trees and searched for food along the roadsides. And like other birds of prey, red kites are predominantly scavengers. They have small talons 
and are no threat to livestock. So farmers Neil and Lynn Bowser were happy to welcome them. Today there are seven to eight nesting pairs on the farm and over 1,000 red kites in Scotland overall. With a wingspan of five feet or one and a half metres, the characteristic V-shaped tail feathers and beautifully patterned red-brown plumage. Red kites are easy to spot and identify. Every day, the farm puts out a small amount of food for these birds, never so much that it might affect their natural behaviour or discourage youngsters from seeking new territory, but just enough to attract resident birds to show off their spectacular aerobatics to a mesmerised crowd. Today I'm one of the onlookers. Our session is guided by Nikki, a resident ranger at the farm and a true expert in red kites and their troubled history. Next to me, equally mesmerised by the beauty and agility of the birds, sits Joe McClellan, a youth worker and artist from the local area. Joe is one of 20 young people who've joined Scotland The Big Picture's Next Gen programme, an initiative to get more young people involved with rewilding. Throughout the programme, Joe and the others got to travel to rewilding sites all over Scotland and learn from experts about their significance and the challenges of restoring them. From oyster releases to regenerative farming and from snorkelling among seagrass meadows to discovering new wetlands created by beavers in Argyle. As they learnt more, the next-gen team have been sharing their experiences through workshops and events, planting seeds and changing attitudes among older and younger generations. Together we watch as the red kites soar through the air and dive for scraps, while listening to Nikki tell us more about the other rewilding initiatives on the farm. The hedgerows between the fields are busy with songbirds, fighting and bickering over the best seeds from the bird feeders. Waterways are planted up with trees to provide shade and protection for young salmon, and the fallen branches slow down the flow of the river for the fish. Barn owls and tawny owls, goshog and sparrowhog, golden eagles, ospreys and peregrine, they all flourish here on this land. Most recently, two beaver families were relocated to Argety. Beavers, like red kites, were once hunted to extinction in Scotland, but the reintroduction story has been more controversial, with some farmers and anglers worried about how the beavers' famed engineering activities might change our rivers and river banks. However, here at the farm, the beavers are already improving things. They're a keystone species that shapes the landscape. Beavers are like architects, engineering waterways and creating habitats for countless other species. Their dams are keeping more water on the hill, reducing flooding in other parts of the farm. In other words, they're an integral part of this ecosystem. I ask Nikki how these efforts to rewild the landscape have impacted the productivity of the farm. That's a really good question. That's a really good question. Because the wildlife side of it has taken off and, and we're trying to do as much of that as possible, the kind of farming setup here is slightly different in that we have two guys, um, it's like a partnership. So Mark will run the livestock and he employs Donald to help him run the livestock. And then we do the kind of wildlife stuff. Neil will still do a lot of the tractor work, so the hay, the silage. So it's a partnership agreement. And anything we want to do in terms of whapping in hedgerows or trees or beavers, there's always around the kitchen table discussion. How is this going to work with the farming? Can we make this work? And we've had some great discussions in the last month about, well, we want to plant up lots of our waterways, which means keeping the cattle out, which is actually quite a beneficial thing from a nutrient loading perspective. So we've talked to the farming team here about how we fit water supply systems that keep cattle out of the areas we're trying to plant. So there's a constant dialogue. Um, I think it'd be fair to say that, you know, if you're managing with wildlife, it's hard to truly, truly maximise profit in the short term. But I think we're all becoming more familiar with the concept that if we really strip our landscapes hard in the short term we're going to have long-term issues so it is actually sort of a longer-term gain to put back as much biodiversity as we can while still being able to produce food in between it. It is stories like this that the next-gen rewilders at Scotland The Big Picture are carrying out into the world. Rewilding is often viewed as a challenge for farmers to work with but here at the farm Wildlife enthusiasts and farmers work together to find balance. 
After the feeding session is over, Joe and I leave the hide for a chat about his own rewilding journey. With the red kite still circling above our heads, he tells me about his grandpa, who is an avid birder himself and taught Joe much about nature. But red kites carry a particular fascination for his grandpa, mostly because they simply weren't around when he was a child. Knowing that there's red kites here again now. Yeah, he's in his uh, 80s now, and when he was a boy, there was pretty much no birds of prey, like not even buzzards. Um, They just weren't around. They'd all been hunted to near enough extinction or to complete extinction in the UK. Um, And slowly the buzzards sort of made their own comeback, but it did take a bit of help as well. And then the reintroduction of the red kites and other birds and uh, slowly, slowly made their way back. But yeah, they're a long way from being safe. They've still got a lot of people that don't want them around, especially the likes of the eagles and things. But yeah, knowing that they just weren't around and then it wasn't until the, I think the mid 50s before it became illegal to take bird of prey eggs or any eggs from the wild. And that was what was also having a massive impact on on the populations. And now that they're not doing that and the populations are creeping up steadily, it's, yeah, it's amazing to know that, I mean, there's hundreds of them about now. And yeah, you can see them if you're driving up the A9, you see them flying about, um, whether it's buzzards sitting on the telephone poles or the kestrels hovering um, and the red kites, uh, which are so distinctive with the shape of their tail and the size as well. I always kind of forget how big they are. <laughs> but yeah, knowing that, I mean, there's people that are still very much alive that didn't grow up with birds of prey around. So yeah, a lot has changed in a very good way in a pretty short amount of time. <laughs> mm, absolutely, because it's just a few decades, isn't it, where a species that was virtually extinct in Scotland was came back and yeah. is now back in healthy numbers, of course, still needing protection and, and consideration for the future. But it's incredible how fast nature can actually bounce back when yeah. you give it a bit of a push. Um I was reading last night that I think last year there was only like 22 reports of egg stealing in the UK, whereas back in sort of the early 2000s, that number was in the thousands of people Mm. that were stealing illegal eggs. Mm. Um, So, I mean, 22 can still get lower, but that's a lot better than in the thousands of reports. And that's not even including what wasn't reported back then as well. But I think a lot more people care now. They do like seeing them and people are starting to know what the different birds are and how to tell the silhouettes apart. And yeah, I really, I really like it. So I'm wondering, I'm sure there's many people out there who have no idea what rewilding really means. They might have a vague idea and I know it can mean many different things, but I wanted to ask you what, what rewilding means to you and how you would define it or explain it to someone who has never heard it before. Yeah. Okay, so for me, it's about sort of realising how much nature uh, from wildlife and different plants and things like that are missing from from the world. But Scotland specifically is really sort of depleted populations of different animals. So it's sort of realising that and sort of working on how can we improve those numbers and improve in turn that'll improve things for people as well so yeah the sort of the likes of Argate still being a working farm while doing rewilding projects and with the beavers and the red kites and that they can all actually work in harmony it just maybe needs to be done in a slightly different way than it has been for a long time it can be as simple as putting out bird feeders or planting trees or working for an organization that does rewilding projects it can yeah range for for everyone and i think just being more aware of the nature that's around you is helpful as well um, and passing on information down generations and different people it's a lot of information that we've lost over time so yeah sort of just talking more about things that you see or being like i don't know what that bird was and maybe someone will know yeah that's how would you say your, or has your relationship or your connection with nature changed through the NextGen project? Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, sort of in a in a longer term scale, like I grew up in the middle of nowhere and loved it as a kid. 
it was amazing. I had the woods behind the house. My mum didn't care if I came back covered in mud. Like, it was great. And then I became a teenager. And then I lived four miles from any of my friends and it sort of sucked. Uh, and terrible Wi-Fi and all of that. And yeah, didn't really love living in the middle of nowhere then. And then I moved into Glasgow and sort of forgot about nature a bit. I mean, I was just living my life as a 19, 20, 21 year old. Um, I was going out a lot uh, and not really paying much attention. I mean, sort of the extent of it would be sitting in the park and watching the birds in the mm. pond there. And then I moved to Canada for a while, uh, for a year, and then COVID started. So I came home and moved back in with mum and dad, back into the same childhood house that I grew up in. And um, I mean, you weren't supposed to go more than five miles radius or whatever. So I just started going out walking from the house and it really sort of fell in love with the area again. My my grandpa uh, bought me a trail camera that's got night vision and a motion sensor on it. So that was that opened up a whole new world as well of watching the animals at night and, I mean, not having to sit out in the freezing cold rain. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I've discovered badger sets nearby that have probably always been there. I just didn't see them when I was younger. Uh, foxes in the area as well a hedgehog in the garden too and we built a new massive pond in the garden and I think we dug the hole in the August and then by the October we had newts already wow. in it and then this morning when I went out to go see because we got frog spawn last night for the first time this year and I think there was about 10 or 11 frogs in wow. the pond this morning uh, so, yeah, it's pretty hoaching with frogs at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> they love the slightly warmer weather. They love it today. Yeah, uh, yeah. To come out and be a bit less groggy, more active, I guess. Definitely. Yeah. And then how did Next Gen play into that? So I guess sort of I got involved with the project at the same... I mean, it wouldn't have been long after I moved home. Yeah, it really coincided perfectly with learning more about Scotland's nature on a sort of deeper level and in the rewilding aspect. Yeah, just again, it was it was all to do with the people. Yeah, just it's never, there's never a dull conversation. It's all really, really fun, even though it's maybe not a sort of positive news all the time. Mm. Um, but it's just having other people that care about it. Uh, a lot of my friends play video games, which I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but Whereas I can go and sit in the woods quite happily for hours and see some different things and that'll be a great day for me. Yeah, it's nice to have other people that feel the same way as well. Yeah. That's really lovely. Is there anything that gives you hope about Scotland's natural environment? Oh, there's loads. Loads of it. <laughs> uh, That's good. Yeah, um, I was actually doing a workshop with a group of kids at work last week and we ended up talking about animals that are native to Scotland and one of them mentioned bears and I was like yeah we used to have bears I was like, but we, we don't anymore I was like do you know why we don't anymore and he was like were they hunted and I was like yeah probably uh, that's the main thing and then he was like wolves and I was like yeah we also used to have them and I was like what happened to them and he was like they got hunted and I was like yep yeah. And then I was like, what about beavers? And he was like, they got hunted as well. I was like, yeah, but they're back now. They've been they've been brought back. And he was like, really? I was like, yeah. And he was like, where are they? So I was telling him sort of Napdale and over in Perthshire as well. And um, he, was, he was just really amazed that mm. they're back and that people are bringing back these creatures and that maybe one day in the very distant future there might be wolves and bears again i don't know if that'll ever happen but it might and the idea that uh, this kid who was maybe seven eight was really excited about the fact that they could be back because a lot of people sort of put it down to the fear aspect of like oh but you couldn't go walking in the woods if there's wolves and i was like i've been walking in the woods where there's wolves and i've never seen a wolf <laughs> I've been walking in the woods where there's bears and I've never seen a bear. They don't want to see you. 
as much as you don't want to see them if you're scared of them. And yeah, it's just it's just about changing how you go about things. So yeah, I think working with kids especially, it's it's really nice when you do get some that really do care about Scotland and what animals we have and what we could have again. Um, yeah, it, it gives me a lot of a lot of hope about the sort of next generation that will be growing up and getting into jobs that it didn't exist that long ago but are starting to like working with all these different organizations that are working on rewilding projects or or nature projects in general yeah i think it's starting to be a lot more options for what you want to do as a job and i think they're starting that a lot younger and that you don't just have to be a doctor or a scientist or lawyer or something yeah you can have a job that you really like and feel like you're doing something positive to the world. Yeah. It's this desire to make a positive impact that brings me to my next destination on this rewilding journey. While the rewilding work at Argety Farm is largely the result of Neil and Lynn Bowser's passion to do things differently, my next stop visits a rewilding site that needed an entire community coming together. A few days after visiting the Red Kites in Stirlingshire, I find myself on a winding road to the Scottish borders. It doesn't take long for the urban landscape of Edinburgh and its suburbs to make way for sprawling fields and a zigzag of farm tracks. But that's not what I'm here to see. I'm here to meet Wendy and Rick for a walk around Ledburn Community Woodland, a site that is part native woodland regeneration and part peat bog restoration area. And so I swap my trainers for rubber boots, and together we set off. Wendy and Rick are part of a local group who look after this piece of land. It was once owned by the Forestry Commission, who grew a plantation of non-native conifers for timber. But in the early noughties, their efforts were no longer commercially viable. And so the trees were cut down and the land put up on the market. When the community took it over in 2007, all that was left was an open field of ridge and furrow, dotted with tree stumps and devoid of life. But what I see today couldn't be more different. Trees were planted on some of the land to bring back a native woodland of rowan, birches, alder and willows. Even Scots pines were planted throughout in small groups. But while the site is known as a woodland, there are also other habitats created here. Ditches were dug to restore areas of bog and peaty pools restored some of the wetlands that were lost to the conifers. Our walk begins in a small remnant of the old plantation. It was left standing to provide nesting sites for owls and birds of prey, but left to be changed naturally and reclaimed by native woodland. There are lots of fallen trees, allowing light to reach the forest floor, creating breathing space in one stark rose of plantation. Their enormous root systems, now at a 90-degree angle, lift the forest floor up towards the canopy. There are trees growing up on trees. Water gathers in the sunken ditches left behind. Mosses flourish and self-seeded willows are lining the path. I hear the lilting song of a chaffinch and following its melody I spot the bird sitting on a branch high above my head. Even in the dreary mist of a drich day, its plumage looks bright. A reddish chest, grey hat and flashes of white on its wings. Slowly, the rigid rows of conifers are being buried under a new layer of life. The footpath emerges from the trees, and Wendy and Rick introduce me to the pride of their labour. In 2019, Ledburn Community Woodland was extended, and a new block of land added to their rewilding mission. Initially, the woodland, with its mosaic of natural habitats, was established to foster biodiversity and create a beautiful green space for the local community. 
somewhere they could spend time outside with the whole family or walk their dogs away from the main roads. But beneath this new piece of land, an even bigger treasure was buried, an ancient peat bog. For thousands of years, layer upon layer of sphagnum moss grew on this site, capturing carbon through photosynthesis and trapping water in its cells, holding it in place until it formed puddles and ponds. As the moss died off, it sank to the ground, but instead of decaying, it remained perfectly in place, keeping hold of that carbon inside and forming a thin layer of peat. New moss formed on top of it, and the cycle repeated. And so the peat grew, one millimetre per year. Surveys have shown that the peat bog here at Leadburn is up to six metres deep. That's 6,000 years of uninterrupted growth, capturing carbon out of the air, until the diggers that created the conifer plantation disrupted the peace. But today, the bog is being returned to its natural state. After the trees were felled, their stumps were dug up and flipped upside down to create a smooth surface. Dams were put in and trenches plugged to slow the departure of water from the bog, essential to creating the waterlogged conditions in which peat forms. At first glance, the landscape looks a bit desolate. After all, it's early spring and nature is just starting to awaken from its winter slumber. But the bog is in fact teeming with life. The pools attract frogs and toads and it won't be long before dragonflies return for the summer. I can see countless species of moss and other bog vegetation is moving in too. On a neighbouring field, bog asphodel is growing in great numbers. It's a plant typical of Scottish bogs and in the summer it will open bright yellow blooms that turn a rich orange as they dry out in autumn. Wendy hopes that eventually it will spread across the new bog too. High above, I spot a group of lapwings making their rounds and the air is filled with their distinctive display calls. It's rare to see these birds in the UK today. Their numbers have declined drastically and the RSPB has added them to the red list of conservation concern. Wetlands like these are essential to their survival. At the end of the path, we reach a patch of forestry plantation that was left standing to create a barrier between the bog and a neighbouring farm. Rick points out a raven's nest high up in the canopy, but apart from that, the plantation looks like a dark desert. Unlike the place where we started our walk, nature has not reclaimed this patch of woodland yet. The trees grow so close together and their needles are so thick there's hardly any light on the forest floor. There's no moss, no shrubs, no flowers. This is what Leadburn looked like before, and why the community focused on restoring a mosaic of habitats for a wide range of species and different layers of vegetation. Further ahead, Rick shows me a patch of sphagnum moss in a wet ditch. It grows close to the ground, ranging in colour from olive to pink and bright red, slowly spreading among lumps of grass and fallen pine needles. The hope is that over time the moss will distribute its seeds all across the new wetland and restore the peat bog to its former glory. As such, it would capture and store carbon in the peat, create new habitats for wildlife and plants, and reduce the risk of flooding in the area as the bog soaks up surface water like a great sponge. Like rewilding the landscape of Argety Farm, restoring the woodlands and peat bog at Leadburn is a long-term project, but Rick tells me he's confident that the project will persist over time. Every week, a group of volunteers gathers to make improvements to the site, and throughout the year, many youth groups get involved too. Together, they care for this land and make a personal connection, and that investment will carry on down the generations. I ask him how he envisions the future. 10, 20, 50 years time. 
for me yeah. I think it's probably that you know you can have habitats and wildlife that are thriving and could continue to thrive but you can let people have access to it as well so you know that they can come and wander around here and see it and enjoy it um, but but the, the woodland and the bogs and everything are a huge part of that you know um, people wouldn't come here without the wildlife and the habitats actually thriving mm. I don't think so for yeah, me yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a lot of that as well make sure that you know the the ponds are working that that such and such species of butterflies are, are here every year um, that the the bird numbers are good that the trees are are you know get, getting bigger maturing and starting to self-seed and that does is happening you know and and seeing everything just go one tiny step more every Every year is brilliant, you know, and and because we're only 15 years in at the moment, you know, you do see quite big differences between years, and you know, for that to continue to happen over the next 20, 30 years would be fabulous. You know. Later that day, I sit down at my desk and call Jura McMillan, another young rewilder who joined Scotland the Big Pictures Next Gen program. She initially started her rewilding journey by volunteering for Sea Wilding, an organisation based on the west coast of Scotland. Now she works for a peat bog restoration consultancy and has just spent the day surveying and assessing a potential restoration site in Caithness. Like Jo, I ask her what gives her hope for the future of Scotland's natural environment, especially considering the peat bog restoration work she's involved in. Scotland's natural environment, really. Yeah, um, I think the fact that it's a restoration scheme that has been proven to work. Peatland restoration is actually really effective for um, the amount of work that goes into it. So I think that really, really gives me hope. The other thing is that the sector is growing massively at the moment. So there's been there's a whole lot of government funding that's just come in for peatland restoration. And there's just a lot more people that are in this environment. So I think if we can all sort of try and work together and sort of keep doing it and keep going with where we're yeah headed I think it'll work really well. What interested you about rewilding in general and learning more about it and also actively getting involved in it what drew you to it? Um, I was just kind of looking for a way to sort of find something that could kind of help fight climate change, but also the biodiversity crisis at the same time. And I think rewilding definitely does that. Um, the other thing that really excites me about it is the kind of giving back to nature, I guess. As in Scotland, we've got a really, really nature depleted country here. And I feel that rewilding can kind of create a space or create a home for more wildlife and more biodiversity and everything like that. So I kind of feel like there's a bit of environmental justice that sort of comes with rewilding, um, which is what really excites me. <laughs> kind of how I see it is Scotland's land has kind of been used and abused essentially for quite a long time with sort of deforestation at a national scale and then sheep farming and deer farming and everything else that goes on in the oceans along with trawling and fish farming so much so that our land is not what it was a few hundred years ago and I think for me rewilding kind of is a way of restoring something that humans have destroyed and so thus giving justice to the environment that should be here. Has your involvement with Next Gen changed how you connect with nature at all and does that resonate with you that journey of kind of losing a little bit of that magic yeah I think so um I was lucky enough to kind of grow up in a really remote part of Scotland so I'm from Argyll and I grew up right next to the sea but also right beside the mountains so I think I have um spent a lot of my time outside and being in nature especially when I was growing up but the thing about the next gen and rewilding is it kind of forces me to slow down and actually take in my surroundings when I'm out in the hills or when I'm doing like work with seagrass and, and the peatlands is that I have to kind of take my time and actually notice what's around me and I think that ability to sort of understand what plants there are what animals what birds are flying overhead is really important and I think that's something that I didn't really know that I had lost until I started 
sort of looking for it again essentially um and I really like it um being able to understand what's around me yeah why do you think that it's important particularly for young people to get involved um yeah I think it's important for young people to get involved just because we are going to be around a lot longer and peatland restoration is going to take a really long time so peat bogs actually grow which is how they sequester carbon but they only grow at one millimeter a year so some of the peat bogs that we have in Scotland are thousands and thousands of years old. I think they can be 10,000 years old. So I think that's one of the really important things is for the young generation to be involved in is because it is going to be ongoing for the next 100, 200 years. And it's still going to be important even then to keep restoring them just because the level of degradation that we've got in Scotland. What do you see Maybe 100 years down the line, what do you think Scotland will look like? Or what do you hope Scotland will look like? Uh, I hope that I can go out onto the hills because I'm a, I am really love going into the hills. I'm a hill runner and I love hill walking as well. And I would really like to be able to go out into the hills and not see any of the erosion that I see on virtually every trip I go on. I think that would be the dream for me. <laughs> well, let's hope we get there. Um, last question. What is a good way for people to get involved? And especially I'm thinking, what are some things people can do in their homes? Just What's the first step that people can start to do to rewild their spaces or their neighbourhoods or their communities? I think the main thing is just actually getting outside and doing it. And that's how I started doing all of this was I started volunteering. I started having a little research of what was around me. So and that's how I found Seawilding um, was because it's my local kind of rewilding charity. So, yeah, just get out there and find a community group or um, a group of other young people and just volunteer. And I think, yeah, as you said earlier, the more you start looking, the more interested you'll become. And it will become a cycle of just you know what one bird is but you don't know what another bird is so you'll want to find out that and then you'll begin to understand this whole kind of picture of Scotland's environment that we're in at the moment and yeah hopefully it'll spur you into doing something positive. It's like a snowball effect isn't it? Yeah. Once you get your head in it's not gonna stop. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Um, I hope you have. Are you still up in Kitness? On a break from writing this episode, I find myself walking through the woodland behind our house. There are tall beeches, oaks and pine trees. Pieces of deadwood are scattered around the forest floor. We've not lived here for long, but a local woman I meet walking her dog tells me that the tree trunks had been put in place deliberately to create habitats for wildlife. High up in the trees, I can see nesting boxes, and from time to time... I can hear the piercing call of a buzzard, chasing crows or magpies from its nest. Bluebells are forcing their way through a thick layer of dead leaves and debris fallen from the trees during heavy winter storms. In the middle of the woodland, there is a large clearing, and along the edges grows a thicket of brambles. I stop for a moment and notice two birds sitting on some of the lower branches above the brambles. They are distinctly coloured, white and cream plumage with flashes of pink and purple across their wings and chest, and their tail feathers are disproportionately long. I think about my conversation with Joe and realise I don't know what these birds are. I should look it up when I get home. Both birds are carrying bits of moss and small twigs in their beaks. I hold still, worried I might scare them away. My eyes follow them as they enter the thicket of brambles and one by one they disappear into a well-camouflaged, sphere-shaped structure. I watch as the nest moves softly, as the parents-to-be put the finishing touches on their new home, and quietly retreat to make sure they're not disturbed by my presence. On my way back, I follow a small footpath under the trees. The ground is covered with lichen and moss, but every few steps... There's also an empty plastic bottle, a discarded candy wrapper or a crisp bag waving in the breeze. I fill a bin bag and carry it back to our house. Thinking back to my conversations with Joe and Jura, Nikki, Wendy and Rick, 
I think about something they all said, if in slightly different ways. It's something I had been trying to formulate for myself for a long time, and it was good to hear others share the same thoughts. In order to deeply care about something, we first need to be fascinated by it, learn about it, and develop an understanding. Be involved in the process and feel responsible for the outcome. It's not enough to just create a woodland like the one behind my house. The people who use it must also find ways to care about it. That's why programmes to involve young people in rewilding, like Scotland The Big Picture's Next Gen, are so important. Over two years, the participants visited rewilding sites all over Scotland, from seagrass meadows on the west coast to pinewood forests under the peaks of the Cairngorms. They got to experience them firsthand, learn about them from experts, and see for themselves how beneficial it is for everyone to restore them. I asked both Joe and Jura what they got out of being a part of Next Gen, and both of them unequivocally emphasised the community aspect of the programme. Rewilding and climate action can feel overwhelming. Many of the changes that are needed are dramatic, and the timescales of complete restoration can be long. But by being part of a wider community of people who care, the next-gen participants like Joe and Jura found a hopeful and positive approach to the climate and biodiversity crises. They could share their fascination with others and draw inspiration, knowledge, strength and resilience from one another. And they found new ways of appreciating not just the fantastic landscapes out there in the big world, but also cherish the everyday encounters with nature at their doorsteps. When you only focus on the end goal of the rewilding movement, everything seems overwhelming. But when a task feels overwhelming, you simply have to break it down into smaller, more achievable goals. Take it step by step. And just like that, every step is a win. Red kites have returned to Scotland and are spreading their wings beyond the territories of the reintroduction sites. Their numbers are now high enough, it's no longer necessary to tag and track every single individual. Beavers are once again engineering Scottish landscapes, and a new government policy makes it possible to relocate them from conflict areas to suitable new homes. Our forests are being brought back, and green corridors formed to connect once isolated patches of woodland. Seagrass meadows are being restored on the west coast and in the Forth estuary, and in 2022, the first ever hand-sown seagrass meadow flowered at the bottom of Loch Craignish. And finally, peat bogs are being restored all over the country, backed up by research that proves their incredible potential to lock carbon away in the ground, preventing it from returning to the atmosphere. No trees may be planted on peat that is deeper than 50 centimetre, and as the climate turns wetter, peat bogs are once again contributing to slowing the runoff of water from our hills and helping to stop the erosion of the hills Jura loves to run in. We might not get to see what a fully rewilded Scotland will look like within our lifetimes, but we are certainly seeing the first successful steps on the journey. If we pay attention to the small signs of wildness returning, the young trees on once barren hillsides, the bustling hedgerows filled with birdsong, or the community gardens bursting with food, the overwhelm swiftly fades away. At the end of my conversation with Jura, I ask her what it feels like to her when she visits a rewilding site where nature has been successfully restored. I'm going to let her have the last word. <sighs> yeah, it feels incredible. Um, it's kind of a feeling I can't really describe, but I just feel so, um, yeah, just kind of overjoyed when that happens um, and it makes me really excited and it makes me want to do more of it <laughs> which is quite a good thing I guess um, but yeah I just whenever I see something that's worked like if I've not been involved with it or, or if I have I just find it so inspiring and um, yeah want to carry on doing it.
enjoyed this deep dive into rewilding Scotland and hearing about the work Scotland The Big Picture has done through the Next Gen programme. Like Joe said to me, climate news isn't always good news. But hopefully this episode has introduced you to some of the positive things that are happening and inspired you to get involved as well. Don't miss the episode's full show notes on our website. They will be jam-packed with resources about rewilding that you may find useful and interesting. From great books to read about Scottish nature, to a list of organisations in Scotland you could get involved with as a volunteer. In this week's newsletter, I'll share some easy tips to begin rewilding your home, whether you live in a city flat, a house with a garden, or a rural location. You can sign up via the link in our show notes. And for more tips, check out the Scotland The Big Picture online shop, where you can find many free resources, as well as a me-wilding guide to get you started. You can connect with Scotland The Big Picture on social media, at ScotlandTBP, and learn more about past, current and upcoming projects and campaigns on their website, www.scotlandbigpicture.com. I particularly enjoy the resources they created as part of the NextGen programme. There are videos and ebooks that dive deeper into the challenges of restoring key habitats, and several stories profiling young people who work in rewilding. You'll find all those links, you guessed it, in the show notes. And with this, I send you off to plan your own rewilding journey or a visit to some of the rewilding sites dotted around Scotland. If you live in central Scotland, Argety Farm or Leadburton Community Woodland are just a short drive away, but there are many more such places all over the country, from the restored Caledonian forest of Glen Affric to the beaver trial site at Knapdale Forest. There is a lot to discover. Thanks to Scotland The Big Picture for partnering with us for this episode. The Next Gen programme and this partnership was made possible with the National Lottery Heritage Fund, with thanks to National Lottery players. Next week, we're taking you on a journey to one of Scotland's smallest cities. We'll learn about the lives of kings and queens and other great Scots. We'll follow a coastal hiking path and dive into the real and fictional stories embedded in the landscape. I hope you'll tune in again. Wild for Scotland is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten path. The show is written and hosted by me, Cathy Kamleitner. Thanks to Fran Tarowskis, who's the co-producer and editor, and does the sound design. Kirsty Spain and Aneso Matanda Mambingo are supporting the podcast and Tremula Network with social media. Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan Knight, the Tartan Trailburner, and all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel to a different place in Scotland. If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland. And it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmesee.com forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries and turn your travel dreams into reality.